If you would love to create a transformational and successful coaching business, but you don't know where to start or how to make this a full-time career, then my new certification program, Influential Coach, is for you. There is no other four-month live online mastermind like this. I'm going all in, guns blazing on this one with you to skyrocket your coaching career and personal brand online. You will learn the frameworks I personally use for rapid transformational coaching so you can support your clients to achieve their dreams no matter where they are in life. You will also learn how to authentically brand and market yourself as a coach so you can stand out from the rest and build a career of freedom and fulfillment. Spots are limited and this is an application only program. So if you're serious about finally committing to building a successful career in transformational coaching, then head over to imjoelbrown.com slash coach and apply today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm excited today to introduce to you an incredible man who dives very, very deep into the shadow of the abyss of your mindset. <laughs> and I know that sounds very intense, but trust me, there's so much in there that we get to work with. And I've just seen Connor over the many, many years, so it's been about six years now, just transform and unfold into this epic leader in the space. And Connor and I have spoken at events together uh, out in Santa Monica, California. I also know that he's a, he's a big hit out in, in Canada as well and has worked with so many men. And women as well. And just to really go in and, and find those parts within your mind that uh, so many people don't know how to go to, that are hiding, avoiding, and pretending not to know that's there, where there's just so much there for growth. So I'm so excited for you to jam out today with Connor Beaton on this podcast. Connor, thank you so much for joining us today on the Addicted to Success podcast. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. I love that intro. I feel like <laughs> I feel like some some sounds and some bells and and whatnot. We're about to go off right right after that. It was so good. <laughs> well, the, I think one of the reasons too, bro, is because I love this topic. You know, I'm excited to go here with you. I, I know that you've involved yourself in this work for a long time. Uh, you know, on your website, it says the man who tried to escape his shadow, mm. and it's so funny because I feel like that's the story for so many people, like trying to run away from the shadow rather than going, wait a minute, there's something here. Yes, it may be scary and uncomfortable, but I'm going to go to it. So to really kick things off, uh, first things first, we know you're you know, a transformational speaker, coach, you run Man Talks as well, epic event. I spoke at your Man Talks event in Santa Monica, California. It was, it's such a different event to everything else. I loved the tone of it and it opened up some really awesome conversations around uh, fidelity and also just really exploring yourself as a as a person that wants to go deep with the relationship not just with others but also with yourself what is it about this work in particular that you feel is is really exciting and that just really fires you up about this work yeah so for me what i really love about shadow work is that it is the path of integration and it's the path of, of wholeness. Like the, the concept of the shadow was actually created by Carl Jung for those of that are listening that might not be familiar with it. Um, and Jung is one of the, arguably one of the most famous uh, psych, psychoanalysts and psychologists uh, in existence. And, you know, this, this idea, he firmly believed that the shadow was like the bridge uh, into our unconscious mind. And that not only was it the bridge, but it was the sort of storehouse of all the different pieces of ourselves that, that we avoid, that we hide. And so in turn, it's not only responsible for why we sabotage and how we sabotage, um, but it's also this beautiful um, path that can lead to a sense of wholeness. And Jung has many quotes on that. Um, but, you know, basically he believed that the path to wholeness was through the shadow, was through facing these darker parts of ourselves. And we can even see this, uh, you know, in, in things like mythology. So you look at like the hero's journey, for example, it has the shadow built into it, right? Like when you go on the hero's journey, you embark on, on this call, on this quest, and, uh, and, and part of it is entering into a, a dark place, uh, entering into the cave, entering into a, a period in your life, a dark night of the soul, whatever you want to call it, uh, where you meet these parts of yourself, of the world. And so for me, I love it 
because it's about completion. It's about wholeness. It's about finding our strength and our power. And the last thing I want to say is that what, peop- what most people don't know is that a lot of our potential is stored in the shadow. So if you've been trying to access potential for a long time in your life, you're somebody that's heard you have so much potential and you're like, where the heck is all that potential that people keep telling me that I have? It's in your shadow. And that's why you can't find it. It's buried in your unconscious mind. Yes, yes, yes. I believe it for sure. What tools, uh, modalities, exercises do you utilize to go into the shadow and create transformation? What are maybe two or three tools that you use? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that people can start to look at. One of them is projection and projection usually shows up in our relationship. So a lot of, a lot of the shadow is going to manifest with the people that are closest to us, right? So our partners usually take the brunt of our shadow, right? Like in our intimate relationships. And so we will project onto, uh, onto our partners um, we'll cast anger onto them. We'll project our insecurities onto them, uh, our inabilities, uh, our perceived inabilities. And so one of the things that we can start to do is we can look for the things that we are actively projecting onto other people. And we can hear that because we'll get a lot of pushback, a lot of resistance oftentimes from our partner. So that's one of the things that you can start to do. The second thing is to start to uncover and start to note your reactivity. So reactivity is like the, the neon sign that's pointing to the shadow. It's the neon sign pointing to the shadow. And so starting to get to know your reactivity, because when your reactivity is present, you know that the shadow is in charge, right? Like if you've ever heard people say like, oh, I lost it. Well, what did you lose? You lost your consciousness, right? You lost your conscious capacity to actually engage with your partner or with your family member. And so when your reactivity is in place, your shadow's in the driver's seat. So we need to be very aware of that. And there's a few different things that we could kind of get into uh, to unpack what that reactivity looks like. Yeah, I love the way that you broke that down. I feel like people know when they do project into the space, there's this knowingness that comes into play sometimes shortly after that's like, oh, I just did that thing. And then there's this shame and guilt that follows after it. So it's keeping us in the lower frequency, right? There's a quote by uh, Abraham Maslow, right? And he says, if you only have a hammer, you tend to see every problem as a nail. (laughs) So we're kind of working with what we've got not just what we've got in our conscious and we know we've worked on, but also what we've got hanging in the background. So I like that you're, you're starting to reveal this to us and say, hey, there's something we can do here. Yeah, 100%. Now, the thing that I always say to people that kind of jars them a little bit is like your pain, your darkness has its own intelligence. And it's, all, it's always trying to reveal itself constantly, right? It just comes out in ways that are maybe unsavory, right? And so what we can do is use the power of reflection, right? And part of that is by creating little pauses in our interactions, right? So if you look at um, Man's Search for Meaning, right? Viktor Frankl, he said, between every stimulus and response, there's a pause, And so whenever we feel that stimulus that causes us to feel reactive in our body, right? We feel anger starting to brew up within us. We start to feel defensive or we want to stonewall or shut down or we become contemptuous. We want to lash out at somebody. That's a sign that reactivity has been turned on in the body and in the mind, right? Our nervous systems are the things that are priming us. Uh, Our nervous systems are like the conduit for the shadow uh, to be seen. And so we need to tune into that part, but we need to be able to pause because if we can't pause, if we can't pause and feel into like, oh man, I'm becoming reactive. I'm getting defensive. I know this pattern. If we can't pause, we can't work with it, right? Jung said, what we cannot separate from, we cannot heal right? What we cannot separate from, we cannot work with. And so we have to create a little bit of space between us and the anger and the, and the, you know, the, the defensiveness that's coming up. And because without that, we, can't, we can never work with it. Yeah, powerful stuff, man. Really, really powerful. Uh, I have heard of this analogy before. I th- actually, I think you'd like it. It says that uh, most of the time, we're scraping mud off ourselves 
and smearing it on others <laughs> when we're when we're not doing the work within the subconscious and and yeah. you know i had brendan bashard on uh, just before you in the, the episode before and he was talking about this idea of just really taking full ownership and, and taking responsibility in your life and a lot of people aren't practicing that being responsible for their emotions because you often hear people say like, you made me feel this or you made me feel that. Or if you didn't do that, then I wouldn't feel this way. <laughs> and, and I feel like that's a clear signal that, wow, you've got some work to do. Yeah, 100%. That is the shadow in action, right? What we are, that's projection, right? Exactly what you're saying. You made me feel that way, right? It's like, well, you're, you're projecting your emotional state onto somebody else. And so we have to be able to take a step back and see and understand what the threat response is within our body, right? And so a lot of couples, for example, in relationship, because again, our shadow comes up around the people that are often close to us. A lot of couples will get into um, shame-based conflict cycles, right? And these, the shame-based conflict cycle will be a similar argument that will happen over and over and over again, right? Like, why can't you wash the forks the, the way that I want you to or rinse the dishes the way they need to do or Like, <laughs> you know, I, you need to take the garbage out of the certain, like whatever the, whatever the, the thing is, right? And when, and when that happens, we need to be able to, to take a step back and see what's physically happening within us. Otherwise, we just get caught in, in the same loop. And that's us projecting onto the other person. So we need, we need to be able to identify how do we get caught in these shame-based uh, cycles. Because for human beings, emotionally, shame is like alcohol, right? Shame is a suppressant. It's emotional suppressant. And for most people, where they go wrong in this whole space is that they can identify anger. They can identify sadness. They can identify uh, rage and guilt and embarrassment and jealousy. But when you ask people, really ask people, what does shame feel like for you? A lot of people have no idea. Right? A lot of people have no clue what shame feels like in the body, what shame sounds like in their thoughts. And, and so they might have a little inclination, but they're not able to identify it as clearly as other emotions. And shame is an incredibly important part of understanding the shadow. Because again, the, the shadow has been built by all of these experiences in our childhood, growing up when we were bullied, um, you know, growing up when we felt neglected by mom or dad or abandoned by one of them, uh, or told that we were too stupid or not good looking enough or too fat or whatever the case may be. It was, it was in those moments that the shadow was created and we felt shame in those experiences. And so how you start to get to know your shadow is you can look back at your past and you can look into your childhood. And this is where uh, something like internal family systems, which is an incredibly powerful resource and tool can come into play. And you can start to look into your childhood and say, okay, where did I feel shame as a child? You know, where did I feel neglected or embarrassed or abandoned? And it'll give you really powerful insight into where, where not only shame showed up, but how it started to build some of the the origin stories of the, the shadow cycles and shadow patterns that you're probably seeing in your life. Like, for example, growing up as a kid, I heard a lot, like, you're not going to amount to anything. You're stupid. You're not smart enough. And so I started to believe that. So a big part of my perceived potential intellectually started to get stored in the shadow. I didn't think that I was smart enough. And it started to manifest as this like huge defensiveness. Like whenever somebody would come close to questioning my intelligence, I would get so reactive. I'd get so defensive. And it took me a long time. I remember a, a, a girlfriend of mine years and years ago was like, hey, do you ever notice that if you think that I'm questioning how smart you are, that you get really pissed off? And I was like, no, I had no idea. <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't even know. And, and then I started to see this pattern showing up over and over again. And it was because of the, you know, the, the ex experiences and, and whatnot, abuse that I experienced as a child. And so to witness that is incredibly powerful because we can start to sort of put the pieces together for what built our shadow. Yes, yes. I love that you refer to relationships as a great way to look at the shadow as well, because I heard this saying, I don't know if this resonates with you too, but I heard some people are either a window 
a mirror or a door, mm-hmm. right? The window is you kind of, you got, you're kind of looking through it. You're not quite seeing what's there and you, you're moving forward. A uh, mirror is it reflects back to you and usually it's in a very uncomfortable experience, but it's showing parts of you that still are yet to be healed. And the door is you move to that next chapter with that person. Yeah. 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 I love, and, and, and I'm love sure that, that like, yeah, it's cool, right? Cool analogy. And, and I'm sure within the work that you do as well as a coach, as a leader in the space, that you see a lot of these people that are struggling big time in relationships. Now, I know that you were talking about this commitment in relationships, especially with men too. How do we navigate this? Because I know this is probably a big thing that might have come up uh, around this time of COVID. You know, people are, are in each other's faces if they've gone into lockdown together, they've had to quarantine. There's um, some people that are struggling a little bit with business or maybe finances. So, how do we navigate this relationship space? in a healthy way uh, and communicate with each other like, hey, there's some work here that we get to do. Yeah. So I have been talking for the last few months about a very simple and yet powerful concept that people can bring into their life. And it's the simple concept that isolation equals amplification. So whenever we isolate ourselves, we amplify what's already there. Right, so isolation for human beings is 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 can be one of the most spiritually liberating things, but it can also be one of the most psychologically damaging experiences when it's not chosen, right? And so a lot of people right now are experiencing a mental health crisis, uh, or and, and are are sort of stuck in these patterns because they have not chosen isolation, right? They've been forced into isolation, forced into their you know, uh, one bedroom apartments or, you know, whatever the case may be stuck with their, you know, family seven days a week and they're trying to work from home and their kids are barging in the cats walking across the keyboard, you know, and they're just like, Oh my God, like this is, this is so frustrating. I didn't ask for this, (laughs) but isolation amplifies what's already in existence. So if you are someone who has a lot of anger or who has a lot of sadness within them, or who has just a beast of an inner critic and the inner critic is a in very integral part of the shadow, right? What's going to happen is that it's going to amplify that part. And so what a lot of couples have been experiencing, and we've seen this in the data, we've, I mean, in in British Columbia and Canada, um, I was reading an article, I think two months ago, and it was talking about how domestic abuse had gone up in the province of, of BC by 328%. Um, since COVID has started. And, and so what we're going to see on the other side of COVID when, when we are sort of maybe able to go back to a sense of normalcy is that this, this isolation has amplified what a lot of couples were already experiencing, right? So a lot of couples are going to have their shame-based conflict cycles start to show up. You know, it's going to show the holes in their intimacy. It's going to show the, the issues that are happening in their communication. So if we know this, if we know that isolation is going to amplify what's already there, maybe for some couples, it's amplifying their sex life, it's amplifying their their healthy communication, their great boundaries, it's like they're crushing it. But for a lot of people, what it's bringing forward is challenges in their communication. So if we know that this is going to happen, what we can start to do is say, hey, we're probably going to be more on edge. Let's sit down and have a conversation about this upfront. What's been amplified for you? And I'm going to share what's been amplified for me during this time of isolation and to have a really open dialogue with people and then to start to uh, put in some stop gaps, right? Some boundaries, some, some resources for, for the couple. And they can say, hey, you know what? I'm, my, my reactivity is getting triggered. I need to just pause and take a second, right? Or uh, there's my anger, right? Or I'm feeling lonely right now. This has nothing to do with you. This is actually just my loneliness. And the, so when we can start to label the th- Thing that's actually happening that's coming out of this isolation, we can start to work on it. And then we can work as a unit together uh, for the relationship rather than for the individual. Uh, because for a lot of couples, wh- where they get into a trap is they start to claim that other person's experience, right? And this is how codependency is built. So when you have two people developing their own sense of sovereignty within the relationship and prioritizing the relationship, you build a healthy relationship, right? I, I think there's a great quote by Francis Weller where he says, undeveloped sovereignty always leads to self-abandonment. 
And it's such a beautiful quote because when we as individuals don't have our own sense of sovereignty and autonomy within our relationship, we fall into codependent patterns and we bicker and we fight and we lose that intimacy and we lose that individuality. What would you say has been one of your big turning points within yourself, the shadow work that you do with others that you've also done with you? Because you would have had to have done that first before then moving in as a leader in the space. Share with us a, a moment. Maybe it's a dark night of the soul. Maybe it's some part of your journey where we can learn like, wow, Connor, Connor has you know, a great example to be able to work with here. Yeah. So, I mean, I was like the classic example. <laughs> like I really, I really truly was. So, you know, I think for a long time, I, it looked like I had a, a really great life and a good career, great relationship. Um, you know, I was traveling the world. I had the motorcycle and, and I had sort of checked all the boxes of what I thought it meant to be a successful man in, in our culture and society. And that was the really like well manicured mask that I showed everyone in my life, you know, like really well manicured. And behind that was just like this disaster that I felt like I had to hide from people, you know, this version of me that I hated that, that felt completely out of control, that lied, that was, that cheated, who was unfaithful in relationships, who was hurting the people that he loved, uh, who was questioning his career felt like a fraud in what he was doing. And, and really, I had been running from that part. I hadn't told anybody about it. Nobody knew I was lying. Nobody knew I was cheating. Nobody knew what was going on. And finally, it all sort of came to this, this, this um, tipping point, you know, this demarcation point where my girlfriend found out I was cheating uh, in this sort of like Hollywood-esque style fashion. And um, I, I had left my career and I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want anybody to know. I had so much pride in holding on and hiding this part of me that I put all my stuff into storage and I lived out of the back of my car, my two-door coupe in a Walmart parking lot for almost three weeks. And I remember being, being there, you know, sort of like waking up at Chateau Walmart and uh, looking out the window and being like, what, what the hell am I doing? Like, how did I get here? And, and who have I become that I'm, that I'm hiding this part? And I realized in that moment, I, like, I remember very vividly one night just sort of like laying in the backseat, crunched up. Like I'm six foot two and I had this two-door coupe and I'm like smashed in the backseat of this two-door coupe. And I remember really vividly laying there one night thinking about how I could talk my way out of the, the situation I got myself into. And I knew that wasn't an option. And so then I thought about continuing to hide all the things that I had done and the path that that would lead me down. And I realized that I had had a story up until that moment that told me, I told myself that things in my life weren't going to get better until I hit rock bottom. And it came true. You know, it really, it really came true. And I find that today, a lot of people are holding that story. They don't think that things are going to get better until they hit rock bottom. So I decided that it, like there wasn't really some big aha moment like people talk about. It was just that I realized that if I kept going down that path, it was going to lead to self-destruction. And I remember my mentor talking about suicide at the time. And we had this like mental health class in university. And he said, suicide is the ultimate form of self-destruction. I think it's somebody else's quote. I don't, I don't know who it's actually attributed to, but, um, but he said it and it like caught in my head. And it rang in that moment because I was having some pretty dark thoughts. And I realized that going down that path was going to lead me further into self-destruction. And so, you know, next day I packed up and I left and um, I started to talk to people in my life. I started to reveal my story. I started to reveal all the things that I had hidden. And I started to realize through connecting with some of my friends and, and uh, close family that they had been hiding a lot too. I had a conversation with one of my best friends at the time and I laid everything out. I told him that I had been hiding a whole bunch of things. And, you know, by the end of me sort of verbally getting it all out, he, he was just in tears and he looked at me and he said, thank you. And, and I was like, what are you thanking me for? And he said, I never thought I would tell anyone this, but you've, I feel like you've given me permission to reveal this part of myself. And he proceeded to tell me how a month and a half before he tried to hang himself, you know, he tried to commit suicide. 
And I remember in that moment thinking like, how is it that I know everything about you? You know, I knew everything about this guy. I knew what he liked to drink, TV shows he liked to watch, where he liked to eat, you know, like everything except for arguably some of the most important pieces. The fact that he'd been struggling so much that he had tried to take his own life and vice versa. You know, he knew everything about me except for these really important parts of where I had been struggling. And so that put me on this path of starting to integrate these, these pieces to start to understand, like, why is it that I had been hiding all these parts of myself? And I realized that it is because of, it's because of this belief, this primary wound that we talk about in therapy and the primary wound is that we don't belong in some way. It's the myth of separation, the myth of separation, that we are somehow separate or should be separate from our pain, right? Or that we, are, that we should reject our sadness. We shouldn't feel that way, right? I mean, the, the amount of people that are probably listening to this podcast that heard those types of narratives growing up, right? I mean, I know I heard them growing up as a young man, right? Like, don't cry, suck it up, be a man, right? All that type of stuff. It's like, all that's telling you is like, repress the shit out of your emotions, right? Repress yourself, suppress yourself. And it's those wounds, this primary wound of not belonging that we need to come into contact with, that we need to learn how to start to work with. And, and that working with it is in a, in, in a starting to accept it and is starting to forgive ourselves for rejecting so many aspects of who we are and to start to forgive the people who may have wounded us along the way, right? The parents, the next door neighbors, the kids at school, the coaches, whoever it is that has, that has received pain in their life and passed it down into us through words, through actions. And so that, that's a little bit about, about my story and, and, and where I think we all need to begin. Brother, so much respect for you, man. Thank you for opening up and being vulnerable, being real, you know, in the space that you and I are in. I think a lot of leaders are yet to, to, to go through this process. You know, I see it. I see it. It's, it's the image. It's the mask. It's I've got to maintain this certain character. I've got to be in this certain posture. Brother, it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did it for so many years. Even when I met you, you know, like I think it was about four years back. Maybe, yeah, four and a half. Yeah, I, think it was, I think it was about, yeah, four, four and a half, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, you and I look different. I know that. Like, I'm seeing yeah. you and, and like, we look different. We, we talk different. We are probably have different values than what we had back then. Like, the things that we used to prioritize aren't so much of a priority anymore. I know that the followers, the likes, the titles, like, I'm not, I'm not about that, bro. And, and, and yeah. I was for so long, you know. So, I love that you open up. So, you are you cheating on your partner? Was that before we met or was that after? That was before we met. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, so all, you've been a- all of that, all of that jazz happened uh, years before. And it sort of put me on the path of, of creating man talks in the first place yeah. and finding my mentor who, you know, trained me in, in, in this, this sort of art of working with the shadow. Yeah. Yeah. I love this man. I feel like, we, we, we get to pay attention to what resonates with us. Mm-hmm. And one of the exercises I do for shadow work is, and, and you may be familiar with it yourself too, is getting those to identify which movie character or TV show character, or video game character, if you're into that, uh, that you, you resonate with the most. And I remember, mm-hmm. you know, within myself, it was always Superman and it was this, mm-hmm. and, and, Sure enough, you know, later on in life, I was mimicking this savior type complex, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, and having my kryptonite as well. Yeah, my Achilles heel to certain things. And I just remember playing it out like that in my mind so many times. And I, I've coached some people that feel this guilty or this shame, uh, shameful like feeling around resonating with dark, evil characters. Yeah. And this is the, this is the shadow, man. There's something in yeah. there. What's, what would you say is your character? What movie character, TV show character did you resonate with the most when you were younger? Uh, dude, I have, I have a Superman tattoo on my back from the day I turned 18 and I went and got the, <laughs> I went and got the Superman tattoo with the tribal coming out of it. You know, I thought it was so <laughs> badass, but like what a, you know, what a, a classic example of, of, 
a, a man with a shadow, except for Superman, his shadow is his power, right? Which is exactly the way the shadow works, right? It's exactly the way it works. Superman is such a perfect example because what he's keeping hidden, right? Clark Kent is like the personality and he's the, you know, he's the, the sort of version of how he, how Superman, how Kal-El sees the world. And he, he perceives that he needs to hide this power that he has, right? And we do that as well. We hide our wounds because we don't think that they have any power. But our wounds are a gateway to closeness, right? Our wounds are a gateway to closeness. And it's in, in many ways, in many, many ways, intimacy, which, which is what we are all trying to get, right? Like we are all trying to be closer to ourselves. Intimacy in its root form is a, is a Greek word, uh, intimus, and it means innermost, right? So intimacy happens with us first. We have to understand ourselves first before we understand another. And intimacy happens not just in spite of the wound, but actually through it. And so we have to start to understand our wound. We have to start to understand our pain. And so, you know, I usually ask people, people a few questions like, um, and I, I usually ask them in first person because it's easier for, for people to start to hear this. And so, you know, they can hear this as we, as we talk about it. So like what I tend to keep in the dark about myself is what I least want others to know about me is what I tend to blind myself to is the emotions that I'm least comfortable with are what I'm least willing to, or, or most scared to express in relationships are. So people can kind of play around with some of those pieces and, and start to uncover the things that they're hiding, the things that they're avoiding, right? Those basic questions will start to point towards pieces of their shadow. It's, it's a really good way of doing it. But yeah, Superman. Yeah. <laughs> Superman <laughs> all the way. I feel, like, I feel like he's kind of like the unhealthy version of what Jesus <laughs> held the standard like really to. It's, it's like he wanted to do really good in the world and these things, but he had like his like shadow that he didn't <laughs> yeah. attend to. It's really interesting, man. How, and, and, you know, I resonate with the character of Jesus. Like, wow, if I could walk in, even just be 10% of what he was, that'd be an amazing thing. So it's, I think it is interesting to see what you're resonating with to see, okay, why am I resonating with this? And I like the questions that you ask. So if you're listening to this right now, watching this, write it down, write down those questions, ask yourself these often, you know, this is where the transformation begins is by going in with this uh, self-reflection, writing it out, making a mind body connection, not just keeping it up in your head, but actually doing that, expressing it, sharing, you know, and, and finally, I'm sure there's a lot of people in your space too, if you're into self-development that, uh, are open to self-growth that would love to be a volley that would go back and forth on these kind of conversations. It reveals quite a lot. So I love that you're sharing this, Connor. This is amazing. Um, what quote or saying do people spout quite often that you think is complete BS? <laughs> I did. I did a, a mini episode on my podcast about this. I, I, it was just called like like the worst personal development sayings, I think. And I just, yeah. I just tore apart some of them. <laughs> but Love it, um, I think the one that I, the one that I probably dislike the most is leap and the net will appear. I remember being at a, at a personal development conference and uh, some people love it because it's a great spiritual quote. Um, but for me, I think it gets sort of taught you know flooded around a lot right and when people don't know what else to say it's like well just leap and the net will appear it's like well if you fundamentally believe in your core that when you leap you're going to fall flat on your face that's probably what's going to happen and i remember being at a, at a conference and seeing somebody tell this this person to basically just like leave their job and they had you know, kids to feed and this guy i was just like this feels so irresponsible and they used this quote and it pissed me off so much you know, because the, the person was looking for help. They were like, well, but how does that work? How am I just going to leap? How is the net going to appear? Right? They just couldn't fathom. And I understand that sometimes we don't know how things are going to unfold. You know, that's true. We often don't. And our brain is hardwired to help us avoid change, right? It, it's, it's like an anti-change agent, right? Um, and so sometimes we do have to sort of take these steps into the unknown, but we have to condition, we have to train ourselves to embrace the unknown, right? If you have never embraced the unknown ever, and you're terrified of it, and you leap and, and quit your job, it's, it's probably going to 
be a tough time. So that's, that's the one I just like most leap and the net will appear. <laughs> <laughs> that's solid. Some people find it a bit tough to find they're, they're like, Oh, but I like a lot of inspiring quotes. I'm like, do you get critical about things in your life too? Cause that's important. You got to use critical thinking. You question things as well, especially right now with everything that's going on. Yeah. We're being told so many mixed messages, you know, it's getting mm-hmm. very confusing and maybe it's designed to be that way. And I think right now it's really important to use critical thinking. So I like, yeah. uh, I like that you shared this. What do you personally hope to achieve by 50 years old? So we can get an understanding of where you're, where you're headed. My work is, is all about depth. That's all I'm interested in. And, and I think, um, there's a guy. Can I swear on your show? Is that okay? Yeah, you could. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if I don't know if I want to drop it, but you know, uh, there's a guy named John Wylan. He says, you, you know, uh, he says, "F F going wide, go deep," and mm. I think for me, that's that's really it. So I think in 50 years, when I'm 50, um, 50 years would be pretty old, but when I'm 50. Um, I want to have an institution and I want to have land. And that's part of what my wife and I are doing right now. She's a, one of the top marriage and family therapists. And we have started doing a lot of work together. And so I think when I'm, when I'm 50, we'll own property with an institution on it where people can come and do this type of depth work with us in person and, and you know, heal their past, heal their trauma, heal their abuse, um, face their shadow, you know, conquer their inner critic in a really healthy way. Right in a way where their inner critic is is sort of working with them, not just abusing them on a on a daily basis. Because I know what that's like. I've been in that position where my inner critic abused me every single day, all day long, and it was horrible. It really, it really was terrible. So that's what life's going to look like at fifty, and I'll have a nice little home there, and and I'm sure there'll be a dog running around, and uh, maybe a kid or two, um, and I'll have written a few books by then. You know, I'll have written a few books by then. Yes. I love it, man. Yeah. I, the question to ask yourself that, that voice in the head, is it a coach? Mm. It is, is it the critical on the sidelines? Is it the spectator just observing and watching? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. crazy, man. That inner critic. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. I think the one thing I would just say about the inner critic is that in all the work that I've done, that inner critic has an origin story. And that origin story is usually tied to somebody who was critical of you. And so it's, it's going to be connected to the unhealed wounds of the person who criticized you the most, you know, and, and maybe it's a bully, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a coach, but starting to uncover uh, the origin story of your inner critic is going to be important. So maybe just ask yourself that, right? What was for the people that are listening? What was the origin story of my inner critic? Yeah. What's interesting about that too is if it's not serving us and we don't pay attention to it, we don't accept the fact that it's there and go to it to do the work, Mm. it'll ultimately end up directing us into a place that we don't really want to be our destiny, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Like when, um, when we avoid things, the things that really matter to us do not do well when avoided. And what should matter to you? And I always say this to a lot of the men that come and work with me is like, if you don't know what your purpose in life is, let your pain be your purpose for a little while, right? Let working on your pain in a really intentional way be your mission for a little while and watch your life change. I have seen it in my life. I have seen it in so many people's lives. And it's not just the like, you know, the, the Instagram quotes and, and whatnot. It's like, it's the real hard work of reflecting on the things that you, the conversations you don't want to have, the boundaries you don't want to set, the, the parts of yourself that you don't want to admit or tend to or claim, right? And sometimes that is the fear of, of our own greatness, right? And, and so, um, yeah, that's where I'd start. Yes. Deep brother. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like if we have a look at it this way, regret weighs way more than fear mm. and and this this stress that a lot of people feel and i'm sure a lot of people are, have experienced it lately maybe you're experiencing it right now stress is a fear of loss of control mm. and we've got to look at it like you know often people will do things for certainty in their life so they develop these negative limiting addictions and habits 
that, that limit them. And then this obviously has a reflection back to them where your beliefs and your habits shape your identity. So now I start viewing myself in a negative way and I'm beating myself up. I'm not, I'm not on my own team to win. So if we're, if it's crazy how it has this ripple effect, how the beliefs can affect the habits, the habits can then loop back around, affect the beliefs and then the identity. What do you do in your life to add the habits into it as well? What do you do there? How can we implement and integrate? Yeah. So, um, breath work has always been a huge part of my life. Uh, in my previous career, I was an opera singer. And so I like to say I got a degree in breathing, <laughs> right? I've like basically just was taught how to use my breath and it was so transformative and I, I couldn't figure out what was really happening. But when I started singing, I, I had to do breath work for, you know, a couple hours every single day to work on getting the diaphragm and the lungs in place. And, and that was such a powerful habit that started to change my body and change my mind. And so that has stuck with me for a long time. So still to this day, uh, I do breath work every single day. And that's a habit that allows me to get into my body physically. It allows me to, uh, to face fears, right? To face the anxiety. Because when you are doing breath work, you're going to meet your nervous system. And when you are doing really intense breath work, work, um, depending on the breath work, right? Like a lot of us live in highly stressed states constantly, right? We're just flooded with cortisol. And so we, we need something to get us out of the sympathetic nervous system, which is just this gas pedal, right? Mentally and emotionally. And so the more that we're in our sympathetic nervous system, the more we just have thoughts constantly rolling around and our anxiety levels high and our stress levels high. And so breath work, really powerful breath work can pull us out of that sympathetic nervous system and back into the parasympathetic, which is our brake pedal. So I use that on a daily basis and I'll do breath work in the morning. I'll probably do about 35 minutes of it. And then I'll sprinkle it in throughout the day whenever I need to just sort of like, you know, reduce the caffeine that I may have, <laughs> you know, reduce the, the sort of like anxiousness or jitteriness that I'm feeling in the caffeine. You know, you can do, if you have anxiety, you can do box breathing, which is uh, four, 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 four. So four on the inhale, hold for four, four on the exhale, hold for four. Um, or, you know, you can do uh, in for six and out for six, you know, count of six. And there's a lot of research coming out that nasal breathing is incredibly powerful. And I remember a teacher in my university talking about the benefits of breathing through your sinuses. Uh, long before breathing was cool. And I can tell you it has tremendous benefits. And so if you just focus in on breathing in through your nose and out through your nose all day long, uh, you will start to notice that your thoughts will just slow down a little bit. So I use breath work. Um, I definitely do cold immersion. Uh, so I do a lot of like daily cold showers. That's a, a big part of it. And really for me, that's about meeting that part of myself that shows up when I don't want to do something comfortable right? Like getting on stage. I remember speaking uh, at an event with Gary Vaynerchuk and I was before him and I was like, man, you, like you want to meet your nervous system, go speak on stage right before somebody that you really deeply respect as a public speaker. Like <laughs> nothing, no will, <laughs> yeah, nothing will activate your nervous system quite like that. And so for me, it's like, how do I do one thing every single day that will allow me to meet the part of myself that is my resistance? And so the cold showers is that because there's a lot of mornings where I do not want to take a cold shower and yet I do it. Um, and so those are, those are two really powerful habits that I've cultivated over time. Um, you know, there's things like yoga and, and a whole bunch of other things, journaling, but I think those two have been the things that have really transformed me. I love that you dropped in on breathing through the nose i've been practicing this lately too i heard it on a joe rogan podcast i'm not sure who shared it yeah james james nestor i just had him on my show he's he's really great you should definitely definitely get there him yeah. yeah there you go man it's crazy right because it's something yeah. simple but once i learned that i started to notice how much i breathe through my mouth apparently it's unhealthy it's not very good to be doing that right no it and activates it activates that, that sympathetic nervous system, right? Because our body thinks that we're, when you breathe in and out through your mouth, it naturally 
puts you closer and closer to that threat response, that fight, flight, or freeze response in the body. Um, but when you breathe in and out through the nose, it has the inverse effect. And so it actually pushes you into that parasympathetic nervous system naturally because that's, that's actually how we are, are meant to breathe. And so you start to regulate the homeostasis of your body um, physically, neurologically, just by breathing in through the nose. But it, it takes a lot of work for people. Yeah, yeah. It, it's something that needs to be a new, I guess, a new habit or a new pattern that's introduced. When I work out, I breathe through my nose now. I notice it. And, and I actually... Uh, the first couple of times I did it, I, I don't typically wear a mask when I'm out. I, I'm not, I'm not big on like wearing a mask everywhere and face shields and all the other stuff, you know, whatever, if that's your, your choice, that's your choice. Um, but I had a mask that I use when I was traveling. So I put like this new mask across my mouth because I wanted to train myself to breathe through my nose. And it was really awesome, man, because that was like one of the best ways for me to learn how to breathe through my nose. If it wasn't there, I'd keep forgetting so I don't know, maybe that could be a practice. Utilize this time to <laughs> learn to breathe through your nose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 100%, I think it's one of those things where you, you have to do it consciously. So just that one act can help you develop the mindfulness that you're even trying to practice. It can help you sort of a little bit of like a daily meditation. Um, on the working out front, when James Nestor, he wrote a, a book called Breathe that's super popular. He talked about on it on Joe Rogan. When he was on my show, he said, don't work out harder than you can breathe through your sinuses. And I was like, oh, that's, that's legit. I was like, okay. And so huh. I started to incorporate that in my workout practices. And I will tell you, like, it's, it's I don't know, like, it, maybe it's a placebo thing. I don't know. He has a lot of science behind it, a lot of research that's in the book, a lot of research that's been done about nasal breathing. But I felt the difference. Like, I was doing things in my workout where I would normally be completely gassed. And all that I was doing was just pushing myself as far as I could go without having to breathe through the mouth. Um, so that's been really powerful. Running is a little bit of a different story. That takes a little bit longer, but there are some long distance runners that have started to breathe only through their nose. Imagine that doing like an ultra marathon wow. or like running 26 miles, just in through your nose the entire time. Oh, so it's, a, it's a powerful practice. Yes. Uh, look, mind over matter on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no that's, that, that's crazy, bro. Yeah. I, I mean, it makes sense, right? Biologically, scientifically, you're becoming the master mm. of your, your system, you know, your body. It's, and that's what it is, is I know when we have moments at our breakthrough workshops or at our events when I pull someone up on stage and they're having this moment where we're going through a transformational breakthrough and sometimes some things come up, you know, in the shadow, the, the, the trauma, someone might've got raped. Maybe someone has experienced sexual abuse, domestic violence, whatever it is, right. It can get intense sometimes. And often I'll remind them, Hey, before we go further into this is because sometimes they're trying to speak and they're, <laughs> well, they're trying to say it. And I just say, hey, see your hand here? Put your hand over your navel and breathe into your belly and do that, you know, a few times. And I, and I get them to do, and I breathe as well. And they're there, you know, with the microphone next to them too. And you can hear them breathing through the mic. You can, you can tell by the second or third breath, they're, they're way more centered. It's like they've slowed their heart rate down and they've caught up and their mind's finally focused on the present. Yep. And I think that so often... I'm sure you can attest to this, man, is we're so heavily distracted through social media and we're, we're watching this bite-sized content that's flashing at us on our screen at five seconds, 15 second videos going, 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 like, you know, things are spinning, things are moving, we've got to get going, you know, everyone's saying hustle your face off and all these things. So there's this constant movement forward with no presence. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how presence now has become this like, that's like the biohack. Whereas back in the day, <laughs> when, when the world was a lot, lot slower moving, people were just naturally more present. And, and there's something to that. So yeah. we're interesting human beings. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you want to meet the sort of visceral part of your shadow, you can sit down and do you know, intense breath work. You, know, you can do something like Wim Hof and, and take... 30, 40 breaths in and out through the mouth in rapid succession. 
and then hold all the air out, right? And what's going to come up in your thoughts is the shadow. It's like that deep fear, that anxiety that you feel in the body. You'll start to meet those parts of you that are there when you are trying to make change, right? Again, your, your brain and your nervous system in tandem are pattern recognition machines, right? So what they do is they recognize patterns and then they store those patterns, right? We store those patterns in the nervous system, in the body. And the great book called Body Keeps the Score where Besser Vandelkoff talks about how uh, we, we store emotions in the body and that emotions are actually, they produce, repressed emotions produce more peptides, which are part of amino acids. And so the more, the more repressed, suppressed emotions that we have, the more acidic we actually create within our body. And that's where a lot of inflammation comes from, right? So a lot of people that have uh, a lot of repressed trauma, a lot of repressed emotions, they, they have the manifestation of those experiences. And breath work can often, uh, this is what Wim Hof has shown a lot of in his research when he's been hooked up to machines, <clears throat> is that it actually alkalizes and, and rebalances your, your pH level in your body. So it can help wow. to reduce, and that, that coupled with the, the cold immersion therapy can help to reduce inflammation because it regulates the pH balance in, in your body. And so, again, you know, we, we have a, a physical level to the shadow. We have a mental level to the shadow. We have an emotional level to the shadow. And we have a spiritual level to the shadow. I mean, there's a huge rise of spiritual bypassing right now in our cultures. And, and that's a whole other ball of wax that I don't think we'll, maybe we'll open up right now, but <laughs> tell, tell me about it, brother. No, I know. I know because I'm, I'm experiencing it sometimes in the uh, field of coaching, you know, one of the, <laughs> this is actually really funny. I'm sure you've experienced it too. You have a sales call, right? Or, or like a discovery call. You'd have a conversation with someone, you're like, okay, here's a program or whatever it may be. And you know, I get the message, hey, the payment link uh, doesn't seem to work. Okay, cool. That's all good. Here's another one. <laughs> oh, hey, uh, I don't know what's going on with my card. Something's going on. Next message. Mm-hmm. I think the universe is just trying to tell me that this isn't. <laughs> right, 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 right. We need to get on another call so we can have a conversation about this because it's not the universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just tell and, me and no. So, just try, yeah, just try, just try and say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and here's the thing. So I, I've had... I, I mean, this doesn't happen all the time, man. It's rare, rare occasion, right? As with, with us, you know, everybody. When I end up having these conversations and going like, let's have a look at this because this is one of the reasons that may be stopping you and blocking you from getting to that next level, you know, backing out in the last second or whatever it may be. I believe in what I do, but you need to believe in what you do. I, I don't mm. want it more than you. Like that's not a good place to be in. You've got to want it just as much as I want it for you too. Mm. And I've had many of these turnaround conversations where initially it was, well, the universe doesn't want this to like some of my biggest breakthrough students. Yeah. So we've got to question sometimes like, Hey, where's it coming from? Am I making this decision out of fear or from love? And I think yeah. people do this in relationships too. They go back to relationships in fear of being alone, mm. you know, instead of like, wait a minute, that's not going to work for me. I'm going to move on. Or, you know what? Yeah, I do want to make more effort in this relationship. Let's go back to it this time in love. Yeah. And it's, man, I don't know why I find myself in this conversation often with a lot of my clients and students. Are you finding this too, that people aren't trusting themselves anymore? Yeah, it's, it seems to be a really big one. I think it's, it's because, <clears throat> I think it's because of a few things. One, the, the self-help and personal development industry has exploded right? In the last couple decades, it's just exploded. And so you have a lot of people who lack training, who lack integration, who lack some things that are acting out of their shadow to try and prove something and hanging the shingle uh, far too soon, right? So like in, in therapy, we always talk about um, not to share things too soon, right? That, that there actually is a too soon to share something that's painful and that people have to earn our vulnerability, right? As Brene Brown says, we have to earn our vulnerability. The same is true with your own personal credibility, right? You have to earn some of that. And so, you know, we've, we can very quickly adapt somebody else's message. We can speak the language, right? I I see a lot of people speaking the spiritual language because it's easy to regurgitate, but if it isn't 
any lower than our mind and our thoughts, and it's not embedded into our emotional body and our spiritual body, it's not going to happen. So, you know, I think it's important that, that people understand the concept of spiritual bypassing, which is really like the use of spiritual beliefs and, and practices as a tool to avoid dealing with the emotional wounds or unresolved pain. Right. So rather than saying, I'm going to do this hard thing, I'm going to have this hard conversation, I'm going to get uncomfortable. We then the ego attaches itself to these spiritual concepts and, and rhetoric and uses them as a means to help us avoid. Right. Which is super weird. It's, it's you know, but the ego is a it's a sneaky, you know, it's a sneaky little little trickster right it's the joker sucker man (laughs) right it's like alan watts talked a whole bunch about the joker the archetype of the joker and that's one of the hilarious parts of you know we can go to a a seminar or something like that and have a little bit of like an aha moment right the little popcorn moments and then we 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 try and adapt that thing Um, but if we haven't lived it right if we haven't integrated and started to embody it as as ourselves as our being and practice being that way in the world, actually living that principle, that, that spiritual principle, it's going to cause all sorts of havoc, right? So we have to start to live these things actively in our relationship with our family, with our friends, because there are far too many teachers in the world that are saying the right things, but not living them. And we don't need more of those. And we all know that, right? We all know that. And, and it, it can be challenging because it's like, well, when am I ready? And all those other types of things that I can hear people sort of thinking about that might be coaches listening to this. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jordan Peterson, who's also a Canadian, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he said something a little while back. He said that most people are consumed by ideas. They haven't integrated them. That landed so hard in me because I took that as an opportunity to reflect within myself and go, okay, what am I parroting, just sharing and not actually fully embodying? And, you know, we're in a world where people can get paid for parroting information. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's on every corner. The embodiment though is felt on a different frequency. You know, and it's like you earn those stripes. I had Tony Robbins on the podcast and we had this conversation. He said, Joel, the ultimate is mastery. And he said, but you don't get mastery until you commit to at least a 10-year minimum. You know, he said 10-year minimum, then your name will ring bells in the industry. But he said, for the reasons of you being consistent and because you're focused on getting results, he said, no one can survive that long and, and scale if they're not properly getting results. And I love that because it pushes you mm. to really make sure that you're integrating what you need to integrate to be able to be the ultimate level of inspiration, which is showing others what's possible through your own actions and not just sharing cognitive knowledge, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, I think it comes back to really a, a little bit of the myth of separation that I was talking about before, but it, it actually brings to mind how we in our culture have over-indexed the rational mind, right? We, we have put the rational mind on such a high pedestal. And there's a great quote by Einstein where he says, the, the rational mind is a faithful servant and the intuitive mind is a sacred gift. But we have created a culture that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. And wow. so many of us have not tuned into this intuitive knowledge, right? This deeper form of intelligence that flows through all of us. And, and we, have, we have forgotten the gift, right? And in psychology, we call it the rider and the elephant, right? The rider being the, the rational mind and the elephant being the intuitive body. And so we, we, have, to, we have to embark on a journey of, of being okay with not, not falling into the trap of like the clickbait personal development style, right? Of, of like some of this stuff takes time. You know, if you've been abused and abandoned, if you've experienced trauma, if you've, you know, if you found yourself falling down a path and you're in a dark night of the soul, some of these things just take time. And, and we need to let go of the like Willy Wonka golden ticket idea that we are going to, you know, hear somebody say the right thing and it's just going to magically liberate us from all of our woes and problems. It's not going to happen. Right? It's just not going to happen. And so we need to return to a, a more felt, embodied, depth-oriented journey within our lives that actually allows us to slow down and cultivate this intuitive wisdom within us. 
And it's not that a rational mind isn't important, but you know, start to feel into the people that you're listening to and learning from. And I, I definitely went through that. You know, there's a time in, in my career where I certainly was that guy. You know, I was like, I just want to be like whoever, right? Like I want to be like these people. And so I thought it was all about just regurgitating what people were saying and practicing that. And it wasn't because it wasn't embodied. And we're moving into a space where as therapy becomes more prominent, personal development becomes bigger and a bigger and bigger industry. Um, that people are getting wiser and people are starting to look more closely and feel more closely for the depth behind the words within, within the person, which is exciting yes. for me, I think. Uh, amen, brother. Amen. You know what I think shifted because so much of this resonates within me. I know you and I have had a similar experience in the industry. It resonates with me because I did go through that journey of that, trying to be someone, not knowing who I am, like out of my center, then coming into my center, healing a lot of the trauma, repairing relationships with, you know, past friends, having a great relationship now with my parents. It reflects into who I date, the, the intimate relationships as well shift. It's amazing. And one of the things on the outer, because that's the inner work, that on the outer that really supported me with this change of more just really embodying and integrating was I have weekly coaching calls with my tribe and as my mm. tribe built and I'm sharing and I'm getting to know them and I'm, and like you're having these human conversations more and more it, it pushed me to just keep showing up more and more as me because I had now my people that I'm that I'm with and they see me as their people too and it was so cool mm. bro we're like part of this community of growth but in our own unique way and, and I realized so many people are, are denying themselves of that opportunity to have these vulnerable, open conversations and to have their crew, to have their tribe. They're so consumed by, you know, trying to build in their business solo or, or just, you know, trying to build their brand to be someone with their significance. We know where that comes from. Yeah. It was their, their way of responding to life when they were younger. It's like, hey, I'll do this to get significance, love, you know, and to be seen, heard and understood from mom or dad or both. And, yeah. and like the sooner we find this out, the sooner we go to the shadow and do the work that you're sharing, the sooner we get to get over that stuff and not come from force anymore, but to come from power in our life. And it's crazy, bro, because I remember, you probably feel this too, bro, like years ago hearing like, it's meant to be like easy and flow and there's that there. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you, you get to have that. And I was like, nah, because I was so used to just always like pushing the boulder up the hill and like it's got to be hard in order to achieve it yeah. hard's not always a thing that needs to be you can be smart about it too and let so go true. of the boulder that you're hanging on to right <laughs> yeah i mean i you know again i think like in many ways we live in this like cult of specialness you know this like cult of needing to be special and and we forget that many of our problems are so universal you know, I mean, you and I have lived really different lives, you know, from what, I, from what I know, but some of our issues are wildly similar, right? Some of our lessons are wildly similar. And so we have forgotten this older wisdom that our healing was meant to happen together, right? Our healing was meant to happen in community. Relationships were meant to be grown and nurtured in community. We weren't, we weren't supposed to hide our marital problems away from people in our lives, right? We were supposed to have community to help hold us when things got really challenging and tough, right? Like, my, my, like I said before, my wife is a marriage, marriage and family therapist, and she's one of the best of them. And she says uh, that the research shows that couples go to therapy four years too late four years too late wow. four years what yeah. do you do right and people come in and they're so entrenched in these patterns that have just been destroying them and and nobody right if you talk to their friends they're like yeah they seem pretty unhappy but they don't talk to us about it i've been thinking that they've probably should have been broken out for a long time but we don't talk about it or they complain about it but do nothing right because there's not a container for that couple to work together. There's not a, a community for them to heal and grow together. And so we there's a reemergence of that that's starting to happen within our industry, especially within the healing industry, you know, many healing industries, whether it's 
alternative medicines or personal development or therapies. And I, I think that's beautiful. I think that's needed. Yeah. Right. I love this conversation. This is such a powerful uh, look into the importance of, of shadow work. Where can we find you online? And what do you have right now that the Addicted to Success audience should get onto? Yeah, awesome. Um, well, first off, thanks again for having me. It's been such an honor and pleasure to catch up with you again and just jam. I, I love this. And yeah, um, yeah if people want to find me, uh, they can go to Instagram at Mantalks uh, and follow me there. Uh, you can go to my website, connorbeaton.com um, and follow me there. And um, I think the biggest thing they're doing right now is I have an online community for hundreds of men from around the world. It's called the Alliance and, you know, guys get their own men's group. They have weekly, weekly calls with one another. They get a weekly call with me. We have a book club. We do monthly challenges. This month is finances, which is a lot of fun. You know, meeting that money mindset is always, always a blast. I bring in resources and special guests and whatnot. And so that's my, uh, that's my joy right now. I'm really loving watching how much is happening in there. So I, I, would, say, I would say check that out. So good, brother. So good. Now... If you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Oh, man. You asked this to everybody. Tony answered this. Brendan answered this. Tony, gonna, Tony, gonna, tripped, Tony tripped a little bit. I can't lie. He was like, oh, and he just kind of gathered himself. And then, but, and then he just like, you know, he did, he did the Tony thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he crashed. I'm not going to have to go listen to it. I think, I think what I would say is, like lean into initiatory experiences because initiatory experiences are are always the experiences that lead us closer to who we are meant to be and it's where uh, the older versions of us will inevitably die away and they're hard they are so hard there's like the the initiatory experiences i've had in my life at, at some points felt just crushing but they have been the manifestation of blooming and blossoming who I am today. And, and so I would just say, you know, go boldly into the initiatory experiences in your life, the, the moments that you want to avoid and, and smile when you can. 